Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. You know, folks, we, we do live in interesting times. We live in a culture that is shifting, and it's shifting rather rapidly. If you're a young person, you maybe haven't seen that, but if you're a little bit older, you can see that times are changing, and they're changing rapidly. I can remember when there wasn't a thing like a computer. And if you thought about a computer, it took up a whole building. Now what used to take up a whole building can fit in your pocket in your phone. Now that's, that's reality. We're, we're in times that are shifting, that are changing. Uh, how many of you remember 8-track tapes? And having a matchbook to, to make sure that it was level in there so you could play. And you, would, and you didn't mind that the track changed in the middle of a song. Now you would never even tolerate that. But we tolerated it back then. See, those are things that reflect a changing culture. With that changing culture, there's also not just the technological aspects of that, but there's definitely the social aspects of that. Things are accepted today that were probably never accepted years ago. And attitudes have changed. What do you mean? We're becoming increasingly more secular. So people really don't understand Christianity. We have now a generation of people that is being raised up that have never even been in a church that don't even know what church is. Who are maybe even scared of church. And their concepts of Christianity are really messed up. In fact, they are somewhat vocal when you tell them what you believe. They can actually be very vocal with you and say, do you really believe that? That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to enter into a series because I was asked, you know, recently we had a question that was presented here. I've been asked this question numerous times in my ministry over 20 years. Why do you believe that? Do you really believe that? And so we're going to enter into a series called Why the Cross? Why the cross? Why the suffering of Jesus? Now, we're not just going to enter into the series just to be able to answer folks who have that question. We're going to enter into the series because what I find is, is even though you are a Christian, it's real easy for you to forget why Jesus had to die for you. It's real easy for you to forget why he had to suffer. And so we're going to kind of refresh ourselves over the next few weeks concerning this issue. And today especially, we're going to answer that question, do you really believe that? Where's that question come from? Why would they even ask that? Well, first thing we need to look at and see is, is that there's a cultural shift. With each new generation, our culture is becoming more secular. With each new generation, our culture 
is becoming more and more secular. What do you mean by that? Well, some of you who are really a lot older here can remember when you were in school and school started out not just with the Pledge of Allegiance, but maybe with the Lord's Prayer. And some of you can remember when there was a Bible reading in school. How many of you can remember that? Okay, there's some of you. Yeah, okay. Now notice, we all have the same color hair. If we have hair. Now, something happened in the 60s, and what happened in the 60s is, is our culture shifted, and so we, through decisions of the court, were decided to no longer read the Bible in school and no longer pray in school. And, and the church got all upset, and for years, I can remember when I first became a Christian in the early 80s, there was the war cry of getting prayer back into schools. You don't hear that much anymore now. But what ended up happening is, is that as each generation came along, less and less people went to church. In fact, the current generation, the 18 to 30-year-olds, most of them identify themselves as nothings or nuns. What does that mean? They don't believe anything. They're not atheists, although atheists could be included in that. They just don't know. They don't know anything. They don't have any exposure to it. So what happens is with each passing generation, there's folks with less and less a foundation about Christianity. And so what you're seeing is, is our culture is becoming increasingly secular. It's happening. People don't see a need for Christianity anymore. That's what's happening. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Younger generations have no foundation in Christian thinking. Younger generations have no foundation in Christian thinking. What is that? Well, for some of us who are older, you can remember being taken to, to church and going to what? Sunday school. You went to VBS. Why? Your parents brought you there. You went to five-day clubs. You were involved in different things at the church. And, and so what ends up happening, you had in your life a foundation of the Bible. You even got it in school if you were older here. Now the problem is, is as we go on and generation after generation is becoming increasingly more secular, what you're having now is a generation of young people the reason why they say that they're nothing is because they have no foundation and no understanding about Christianity, about Jesus. And that's where our culture is. So how do we, how do we respond to that? Do we react? Well, I know there's some folks that are reacting to that. No, that's not what you do. That doesn't help, actually. But you need to be able to know how to respond to people. Why? Why do we need to respond to people? Well, that's the next section. We're actually going to look at 
verses 18 through 25, because Paul's going to tell us, this is written almost 2,000 years ago, that what we're facing today in our culture, in the way that people react and saying things like, do you really believe that? There's nothing new here. It's actually something that he faced even in his day. Look with me at verse 18. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, and the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to see a couple of things here. We're going to see, first of all, reactions. Verse 18 is going to talk about vocal reactions. And that's what you find happening today in our culture. Vocal reactions. We're going to see God's prerogative. When it comes to the issue of salvation and how people are saved, that's God's prerogative. We're going to see that. And then we're going to wrap it up with the problem that mankind has. The problem of mankind. So let's talk about vocal reactions. Here's the first thing I want you to see. With culture shift, unbelievers have become more vocal. With culture shift, unbelievers have become more vocal. Now, let me just stop for a moment, and that's really bothering a lot of people in the church today. That's really bothering people. So, for instance, how many of you caught the news within the last month there was a Senate hearing for a confirmation for somebody who was being nominated for an office, and a couple of senators went after him because of his belief in the exclusive claims of Jesus. Therefore, that must mean that other people from other religions are going to hell. And so they made a big issue of that. Now, let me just stop for a moment. You might be saying... What's the big deal? That's Christianity. Yes, that's Christianity, but we live in a culture now that's become increasingly secular where every, what anybody and everybody believes is okay, and if you happen to believe something that's totally exclusive, that's wrong. That makes you unfit in our society. And you're like, well, wait a minute, what do you mean unfit? That's reality, folks. With the culture shifts, unbelievers have become more vocal. So it's not uncommon for someone to say to you, do you really believe that? Do you really believe somebody had to die for your sins? 
Now, you, you, the thing that shocks us is because before we never had to answer those questions. Why? Because people had a foundation in Christianity and had a foundation in what Christians believe. They maybe didn't believe it, but they at least knew that's what we believed. But now you're finding increasingly more and more people have no foundation, no understanding. And when you sit there and tell them, I believe that Jesus died for my sins, and unless you believe that Jesus died for your sins, you're not going to have salvation. You're not going to go to heaven when you die. They look at you and they say to you, you're nuts. You're crazy. You've had that happen, haven't you? And listen, from their perspective, let's stop for a moment. Let's just cut them a little bit of slack. From their perspective as an unbeliever, it does seem nuts. In fact, I'm going to cut you a little bit more slack. Paul even describes it here in this passage that what we believe is foolishness to the world. Did you hear what I said? The message that we believe that we hold to, that is so dear to us, that is the source of our salvation, Paul refers to as foolishness. So as the, with the culture shift, unbelievers become more vocal. So here's what I want you to see. Why are they more vocal? They see our belief in the suffering of Jesus for our salvation as madness. They think it's crazy. They see it as madness. Look at verse 18. Look at what he says there in verse 18 of chapter 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Folks, nothing's changed there. It's just that, and in fact, they've always thought it was foolishness. The only thing that's changed now is that we've become more vocal about it. The fact of the matter is, is that our message is utter foolishness to them. Now, if you think about that for a moment, you think about the loved one that you're sharing Jesus with, the loved one that you're concerned about, the loved one that you're praying for, the guy that you're working with, and you wonder why he reacts negatively. Folks, it's because he sees what you believe as foolishness. That's reality. Now you say, okay, how do we answer them? Well, here's what I want you to see. Paul brings out the point that when we talk about salvation, when we talk about why we believe this, it's because of God's prerogative. Notice with me verses 19 through 21. Look at what he says. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Here's God's prerogative. First thing I want you to see. God has chosen to confound the wisdom of the age. All right, stop for a moment. Here's what we need to understand. The reason why we need salvation, 
is because humanity sinned against a holy God. And that holy God sentenced mankind to death. Not just physical death, that's one aspect of it, but spiritual death, eternity in hell. Now, here's the thing. You can't do anything to change that. Nothing. No amount of effort on your part can change that. There is not a thing you can do about it. You need to hear me about that. There is not a thing that you can do about it. But God in his great love for you took it upon himself to change it for you. Now, let me just stop for a moment. If he's the one who's going to provide a means for you to be able to reconcile to him, to change your destiny, to change the punishment that you're facing, do you think it's up to him as to what method he chooses? You think it's up to him? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just like this. If if one of my kids came to me and said, Dad, I only need this much more money to pay this bill. I don't know how to do it. I don't have the means. I'm doing all the work that I can do. Can you help me? Is it up to me as to how I provide the funds for him, or is it up to my child to decide how I'm going to do it? Whose prerogative is it? It's my prerogative. So if I say to him, I want you to go out and sweep the workshop, make sure there's no dust anywhere, then I want you to buff it and wax it, and I'll give you the $100 you want. Is it up to him to decide, well, that's meaningless, I don't need to do that? No, he's asking for my what? $100, right? It's up to me to decide how he's going to get it. Now, he might be thinking, well, Dad, you could just give me the $100. I don't need, I won't even sweep it, but do I need to wax it? It's a workshop. I decide, it's foolish what you're asking me to do, Dad. It's God's prerogative. See, God is the one who decides how he's going to satisfy his own anger. Do you understand? God has chosen a method, a means of our salvation that to the world seems nuts. To the world seems foolishness. Folks, if you were to ask me to come up with a way to save people, I wouldn't come up with this way. I'll just be honest with you. But God did. And he did it to confound the wisdom of the age. Let's go on here. The next thing I want you to see about his prerogative, it's God's prerogative to choose the method of salvation. In fact, that's the point he makes here in verse 21. He said, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. God is the one who provided his son to die on a cross for your salvation, and he provided the opportunity for you to experience that salvation if you what? Believe. If you put your faith in what the rest of the world thinks is totally nuts. Totally nuts. That's what's going on here. So then I want you to notice, here's the problem. 
Here's the problem for mankind. Here's the problem why people are vocal. Here's the problem why people are asking you, do you really believe this? He tells us what the problem is right here, verse 22 and 25. For the Jews request a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. We preach Christ crucified. The Jews, to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Two things I want you to see about the problem for mankind. Here's the first problem. He says it right off the bat. Mankind seeks God on its own terms. That's the problem. Mankind seeks God on its own terms. We want God, but we want God as we want God, on our own terms. But I'm going to tell you folks, that's not how life works. That's not how life works. So, for instance here, okay, I've known Brad here for 16 years, okay? Brad and I are friends. We just had lunch this week. But if if I enter into this relationship with Brad in our friendship, and I say to him, Brad, I want to be good friends, but I'm just going to tell you, I want to be friends on my terms. So I don't even want to talk to you when I want to talk to you. And if I need you to do something for me, Brad, I want you to drop everything you're doing and do what I'm asking you to do. doesn't matter if you're at work. I want you to show up and do what I want you to do. And Brad, there are going to be periods of time where I'm not going to need you, so I don't need you pining away about when's George going to call. How far am I going to get in my relationship with Brad? It wouldn't have been 16 years of a relationship. It probably wouldn't even last a day. Why? Because it's a relationship built on what? My terms. Think about it for a moment, folks. People want God in our country. Statistics show that. There is a spirituality out there. People want to know God. But the problem is, is we want to know God on our terms. We want God at our convenience. But thats he's the one who sets the prerogative, remember? Because he, we're the ones who messed up the relationship. He provided the opportunity to have the relationship again. But it's on what? His terms. Do you understand? So the problem for mankind is, is that he has chosen a method that the world thinks is nuts But he said, this is the method I choose. And it's not for you to decide. You come to me because you realize you have nothing else you can do. You come to me because you're desperate for me. Mankind seeks God on its own terms. So here's the thing I want you to see. The foolishness of the cross brings salvation to those who believe. The foolishness of the cross brings salvation 
to those who believe. Look at what he says there. To the Jew, it's a stumbling block. What does that talk about? Well, what it's talking about there is this. To the Jews, the concept of the Messiah dying, that was something they didn't know how to handle. That was a stumbling block to them. To the Greeks, what is that? That really means to the Gentiles. Who's the Gentiles? You and I. It just seems like utter foolishness. The concept of somebody dying on the cross, that's crazy. But he says, to those who believe, to those who realize and who come to a place of putting their faith in the message of the gospel, it is the power of salvation. It is the realization that I am forgiven. That even though I can't do anything for my own salvation, God has done it all for me. The foolishness of the cross brings salvation to those who believe. Folks, this is what we're going to do. Over the next few weeks, we're going to go step by step to understanding why he chose the cross. The world may think it's nuts. The world may think it's foolishness, but there's a reason why he chose the cross. As the means for your salvation. And we're going to start next week looking at why the cross. So here's what I want you to think about right now. Do you struggle with the reality of the cross? Maybe you're here, and you've been coming here, and, and you maybe identify yourself as a Christian, but the reality is that if it comes right down to the nitty-gritty of it, the concept of somebody dying on the cross for you, you just aren't sure Do you struggle with that reality? Maybe you're here and you you, you embrace that, but the fact of the matter is is you've forgotten it. And you you maybe haven't even seen the impact of that and what it should be in your life. You need to ask yourself that question. Do you struggle with the reality of the cross? That's a good question to ask yourself this week. That's a good thing to pray about and ask God to show you. God, am I wrestling with the fact that you died with me for me? Here's the second thing I want you to think about. Embrace the suffering of Jesus Christ for your sins. Embrace the suffering. We're going to talk about that next week. The reason why Jesus had to die on the cross was your sins. Okay? The problem is, is that our concept of sins sometimes get in the way. But I want you to think for a moment. I want you to think about the stuff that you do wrong. For instance, can I, can I ask you just a question? How many of you have ever done something that you totally regret, you wish that you could do it all over again and not make that same mistake, not sin in the way that you've sinned? You wish you could do it all over again. Is that, is that all of us here? That should be every single one of us, Right? We live with the regrets. We wish we could take care of it. We wish we could change it. We wish it could be done over. But the problem is, here's the problem. There's nothing we can do. There's not a thing we can do about it. But God can. He suffered so that you could be forgiven. He suffered so that you 
can have peace again in your life. What do you mean peace again in your life? Listen, folks, when you live with regret, you don't have peace. It haunts you. But in knowing and embracing that Jesus did it all for you can give you a sense of peace. Embrace it. Embrace the suffering of Jesus Christ for your sins. Let me pray for you this morning. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.